0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to The MomWell Podcast. Today I am so excited to welcome New York Times bestselling author Claire Shipman to the show. Claire and her co-author, Cady Kay, have written four New York Times bestselling books, Womenomics, The Confidence Code, The Confidence Code for Girls, and Living the Confidence Code. And Claire is joining us today to discuss their newest book, The Power Code. Truth be told, I had just completed reading The Confidence Code and was looking to get in touch with Caddy or Claire to have them on the podcast to discuss the book when I connected with their agent over their new book, The Power Code. Knowing the work that they put out, I couldn't wait to get my hands on a copy and unpack what power means to us as women and as mothers. In this episode, we will unpack and explore the definition of power. What does power really mean? And how does power and the power dynamics within the home impact the power that we hold in the workplace? We spend time exploring why women don't seem to really gravitate towards power. Or when they do, how do they define it differently from men? As someone who spends a lot of time advocating for equality in the home, We're really talking about power dynamics. We're really talking about freedom of movement and time and equal partnerships. So I couldn't wait to have this conversation to understand what Caddy and Claire had uncovered in the research about power. But before we jump in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Quillo and it's titled, One of My Faves. Definitely one of my favorite motherhood podcasts. I always look forward to new episodes and have felt supported through my first 12 months as a new mom. Erica has great guests, is an excellent interviewer, and in general, I just really love her overall content and vibe. Thank you so much, Quillo, for leaving this review. It is honestly such an honor to be able to spend your first 12 months with you as a new mom and to be able to support you on this journey. And as always, for those of you listening If this podcast has had an impact on your life or brought about an aha moment that has stuck with you, head to iTunes and leave a review so that we can learn about your story. Now let's hear my interview with New York Times bestselling author, Claire Shipman. Do you find yourself getting frustrated with your partner because you carry the majority of the invisible load? Do you feel like much of the care work you do goes unnoticed? Psyched Mummy, Dr. Oshirina Reem and I have the workshop for you. Unpacking Resentment is a workshop that dials into the reasons why parenting feels unfair. We cover what resentment really is and how to communicate your way through it. We also discuss how to identify when we're ready to have these challenging conversations in a productive way. We get into the nitty gritty with some really practical tools on how to divvy up the load in a way that is not necessarily focused on being equal, but is focused on feeling fair to both partners. When we let resentment build, we find ourselves becoming more and more irritable and angry. That anger and resentment can feel and become intoxicating. We may feel justified in our position. We feel right, we've been wronged, we've been hurt. But holding on to these negative feelings in our partnerships keeps us stuck. If you feel like resentment, frustration, anger has been brewing under the surface in your relationship, I encourage you to check out this workshop. Learn more at momwell.com slash resentment. That's momwell.com slash resentment. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the podcast today. I came across your work through the Confidence Code was recommended by a entrepreneur group that I'm in for women and hit home at the perfect timing for me. And then got word from your agent that you're doing press for The Power Code and just was so excited to have you here. So thanks for joining us.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for being interested.
0: You have been on quite a journey of New York Times bestselling books (laughs) and writing with your co-author, Caddy as well. How did this life of like an author and public figure come about for you? As a journalist and being on the platforms that you had been on, I see your work as like advocacy work in a lot of ways, too. How did you find your way into writing? That's a great question, because sometimes I
1: look back, I'm like, wow, this isn't what I imagined I'd be doing when I was 25. Right. um, You know, it's interesting. Catty and I were colleagues, both of us journalists, when we kind of cooked up the idea for our first book together, Womenomics. Mm -hmm. It was a very personal book for us, because we were really looking at this puzzle to us, which was that there's this high demand for female talent. There's all this data that shows the more women you have at the top, the better companies do, you know, that the, the, what we bring to the table is important. But we wanted to be able to work differently. We had these slightly different values, right? We would compare notes. We're like, well, we are just both happy when we don't have to be on air. You know, mm-hmm. does that make us not ambitious? Or we're just trying to juggle being moms and all of it. And So that was really personal and kind of an interesting launch point. And, you know, a little intimidating even as journalists, but we're TV journalists to write a book. And I would say that just got us into the space of women and leadership. And it was kind of one thing led to another. We sort of picked up this trail of confidence. Like, why does it seem that all these women say they don't feel as confident? This is really odd to us. And so we followed that. Then we became passionate about girls. It just was kind of a one thing led to another, but the space around women in leadership and women in power, I would say you're right. We've become incredible advocates, evangelists. We're just believers that our society needs more women running things. Mm -hmm. The world needs more women running things. We need more diversity. And so it's just constantly like trying to chip away at what are the issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have so many pieces about the book I want to jump into. We talk a lot about the invisible load here being the default parent, how to yeah. unload so we can buy back parts of our own identity, yeah. all of these things. But why don't we start with the fundamentals? Like we're talking power today. Yeah, We've talked about coming back to discuss confidence, also very relevant, I think, for those who are listening. But we're talking power. And when I think power... I almost align it with like a toxic or a healthy form of masculinity in my mind. It's like brute and it's strong and it's, you know, kind of top down and authoritative. And I don't know, I want to like grunt kind of idea. But I don't know if that is how you would define it or how others would define it. But sounds like in its traditional form, it is quite masculine.
1: So you're hitting on kind of the central thesis of our book, <laughs> which is that there were so many women, when we started to try to unpack power and what we found is very broadly an uneasy relationship that women have with power, We would even ask women who wield considerable power in today's hierarchy. They're like, oh, I don't like that word. Right. I wouldn't consider that for myself. Yeah. I prefer not to use the word power. Yeah. No, I don't really have power. I just bring everybody together or I just, you know, and it's really interesting. Power is, in fact, I think somebody told me, one of the academics I've been working with on this book told me there's a new book coming out I need to look at called The P Word. hmm. So I have to look for that because that's probably, you know, right in the sweet spot here. But I think the fact is what we found when you really dig into even the definition of power, power as it's used today has been largely defined by men. So it's been made in the male mold, the way it's used. And then even the study of power Mm. and the way that, you know, academic definition is today it's largely the you know world of sociologists founded by men you know one hundred and fifty years ago and then kind of studied in this way because and, and what we found as we started to talk to more and more academics, so is there's this strain of power that female academics are spending more time on, women who are studying power are spending more time on, which is a little bit different. so uh, to boil it down, we found that the more hierarchical definition that's more male is kind of power over. Mm-hmm. And there's this aspect of dominance implied in that. Like to conquer, to like... To conquer, yes, to dominate, mm-hmm. to win, zero-sum game, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. And for women, we found the guiding principle and power is like, there's a why implicit in it. It's power to. Power to do what? Like, why am I doing this? I want to understand the end result. Less about Where do I fit in a hierarchy that the hierarchy is an end in and of itself? And I think most significantly, we don't tend to see power as much as a zero-sum game. And Mm -hmm. that has pretty profound consequences. We just realized it's like we've spent all these years trying to squeeze ourselves into this hierarchy. Of course, we know that. We know this hierarchy exists and we've all been trained in different ways but understanding that it even flows from the very definition and differing views of what this thing is sort of essential, we felt, for people to understand.
0: Yes, and power to influence or to like affect change, like have a ripple effect on those around you for good. Are these the things that would fall in this definition of power to?
1: Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, power to affect change is really kind of a classic thing that women are interested in. I think we are much more naturally motivated by, and this was some of our research, actually, even in the confidence code, we're kind of more motivated by making positive change, doing things for either a larger purpose or, you know, to help others. Mm -hmm. And I so I think there's a, a motivation part of it, but there's this kind of drive, I think, women have to be both realistic like let's just get stuff done and often if we're going to spend our time on something is it worth it like am i really going to be doing something good with that time
0: mhm mhm in preparing for this interview i've really been like grappling with the idea of power it feels very abstract in a way because we're talking social power. We're talking about this dynamic or this norm that often plays out that is unspoken, that doesn't have written rules anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's one of these things that we know, and when we name it, we can see it and we understand, but it also feels abstract. And so, I don't know, to me, I think power dynamics also helps us understand this. Like I'm a therapist. I work a lot with different parents and couples Mm -hmm. and I see power play out in a lot of different forms in the home even and amongst couples and families. And so these unspoken norms that come with a position of authority or power that really influence our interactions and, and the way that we function even in our relationships.
1: You're exactly right. And I think this book took us a lot longer to write than any of our other books for this very reason, right? Power, even more than confidence or more than sort of an economic model of the workplace is quite abstract. It's abstract and it's broad, right? Because there's so much different kinds of power. There's like nation state power. Like there's the kind of, if you're a king, there's that, there's, you know, there are power dynamics, there's power at home. And I guess you know, we didn't want our book to be like this academic tome, but we did try to kind of narrow it to sort of relational power, right? So we're not talking about independence, which, by the way, is a wonderful kind of power. And a lot of women opt for that, like a sort of ability to be autonomous, which is kind of awesome as a choice for a lot of people who want to step out of that hierarchy. But this is more about our power in relation to others. And especially, to be blunt, like you know, like I said at the beginning, we're just really focused on getting women to the top of today's hierarchy so that we can have senior leadership. I mean, and we can sort of make more change. That was a goal. But along the way, we ended up looking at it at all levels, right? In companies, but also in the home. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the reality is our relationship with power at home has to work well in order for us to just literally have the time to wield power anyplace else. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things we hit upon was this, you called it, this sort of invisible load. And you know, at work, it's like non-promotable tasks or it's emotional labor, it's cognitive labor, but it's all of that stuff that women do that isn't often valued at all, either by spouses or partners or by society or by the company. And that actually is what, we really feel has to change. And in a way, it needs to be more valued, not only valued by men, but they kind of need to take that up as a core value of their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just for the betterment of society. And frankly, like this was the other headline for themselves, like men are in a Mm -hmm. sort of sad lane right now. They have much less maneuverability and kind of changing their social status in a way or their ability to kind of be a stay-at-home dad or not be type A or not be the primary breadwinner, they pay a much greater cost in a lot of ways for that. That kind of leaves them cut out of a significant part of a really rewarding emotional life.
0: Yeah. We had Dr. Darcy Lockman on and she had talked about like the gender expression window being smaller for men. Mm. Like We can choose to be a lot of things men are kind of like pigeonholed as like the primary bedwinner or like they're much more pigeonholed than we are. And I do see that play out a lot. And those are reinforced sort of everywhere, everywhere we go in these subtle and not so subtle ways. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the things I think that I was really grappling with, uh, just being totally candid in prepping for this interview was We've got mothers that are of the stay at home, wanted to stay home, stay at home because they can't find childcare and childcare is not affordable. We've got mothers who work, who sort of juggle both things. And so when we're talking power, I think that it's important for us to carve it out from personal power because to say that you may not have power if we are like in the home with our family. We're talking about like a, a position of leadership outside of the home specifically. Right. Yes. Yeah. Whereas personal power is something different that comes in many forms. And you can have a lot of personal power. You can have power over your family and the way that you raise your children and lots of these personal family values and the system that you create there. But the power we're discussing today is of the out-of-the-home variety, right? Like more in the
1: workplace. Yes. Yes. But I would say that personal power, to some extent, as it involves a family unit, you know, there is still a relational aspect to it. And I think one really interesting thing, so stay with me for a minute, this yeah. will seem like a tangent, is that like, when we looked at the neuroscience of power, which is a field just really getting underway, they prime people for power and they study our brains to see what parts of our brains light up and what it means. And what they found, for example, is people who are, feel they are, are in a powerful mindset, the behavioral activation centers of our brains light up more. Mm-hmm. And what they found in cases like that is those people are more prone to just do things and take action. Now, this is where we started to feel like that reminds us of confidence because one of our confidence recipes, it's its kind of like you take risks, you do things, you fail, but you act in that whole process of doing helps build confidence, whether you succeed or fail. But in life, what this neuroscience was telling us, is like people who do more things tend to have more shots at success, right? You tend to start to amass wins. Whereas people who really feel powerless and we're not primed to be in a powerful mindset, that center's not lighting up. And you can kind of see in general, if you feel powerless in society and you're not taking as many risks or, or just acting as much, you're going to have a harder time more broadly. And so what's interesting is that you can kind of prime your brain for power, for example, before big events or interviews or meetings, just by kind of recalling a time you felt powerful, or maybe you even walk into the situation already feeling powerful. And that's all to say that it's not unimportant if you feel some power at home or in a different setting that's not like out in the traditional world, right? If you're feeling power in your home or the way you're raising your children, or maybe you're you know, involved in PTA, but it's not paid work, or those things can still contribute in a positive way to kind of getting you on the road to power when you want to use it in other areas. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not unimportant. And I would also say what we're trying to say with this broader definition of power is that the power outside of the home has to start to include a direct value on these other elements in society that women value. Everybody has to start to value those, which is Mm -hmm. the raising of children, taking care of community, taking care of family, nurturing, caring for all that emotional stuff. Like that needs to be part of the power, our larger power equation too. Yeah, And it's not currently valued as such. And I think that's a big kind of disconnect.
0: And I think this is where I'm like dancing around a little bit because on one hand, society does not value care work, does not value domestic work, does not value the roles that women play in the home. Right. And so if like your dream was to be a stay-at-home mom and raise your children, there's power in that. And then also to say that you can want other forms of power as well. It's interesting. My personal story, I'm like thinking about it and trying to like stitch this really concretely together for myself as we're talking. Yeah. Is when I became a mom to three boys in the span of three and a half years and found myself drowning in invisible labor and tasks and like maternity leave, which I'm fortunate to be able to take in Canada, but also left me the primary caregiver yeah. in holding all the bags, all the things. What I found was because I felt like powerless in the home, like Over, you talk about this in the book, I didn't have any authority over my time. I didn't have any like autonomy in choice over how I spent my time and what my leisure time or any time was spent doing because I was so busy carrying the invisible labor and the physical labor, frankly, that I couldn't even imagine power for myself outside of just trying to keep it together day to day. Totally. Right? So for me, when I think about it, it's like the seeds of power have to be planted in the home, and you talk about this in the book, this redistribution of labor and things, in order to carve out the space. Because within my story, what had happened was, I had this breakdown slash breakthrough. I write about and talk about a lot, you know, got through my postpartum depression, anxiety, perfectionism. And started to challenge the imbalance of labor in the home from these gender assumptions that had just played out. And as my home shifted, it opened up space for me to found a company for crying out loud. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I wouldn't have even had the mental capacity to think that that was a possibility without that seed of having some autonomy and personal power over time and finances and, you know, distribution of labor in the
1: home, things like that. So I don't know.
0: I don't know if there is a linear way to put this, but I feel like the seeds are planted at home.
1: They are. And it's it's just, a, like I said, it's a reality because the one thing that is kind of a zero-sum game is our time, mm-hmm. right? Like we only have so much time to go around. And so you need to have even that little amount of space to envision it. And I think one of the things that was so radical for us was also... Christine Lagarde, who now runs the European Bank but was running the IMF for a long time, instituted this new policy at her bank where she's now declared that women who stay home and take care of kids but then want to get back into the financial world and banking, that's sort of an active yes on their resume. Like, you don't have to explain the gap. Like, that actually can She was like, I realized that time... Probably was as effective in terms of training for everything we need right. as somebody who spent three years at a bank in Hong Kong. Right, and I think it's that recognition too, right? How do we value what is actually happening instead of that something like we've had this ten-year black hole or we've, you know, when I, I mean I too dialed down my career. I really wanted to spend more time with the kids, and I, but I didn't ever really question why my husband was less eager to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, probably would have been much harder on his career for him to do that. The reality is, right? So there's so many pieces of this that I think have to be discussed. And it's not really about like, ladies, don't ever take time off with your kids because you'll be, it's not really, that's not what we're saying. It's just kind of like, I think we need to change this whole system, but we're going to need women at the top in order to change this system. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I was having a fascinating conversation on the podcast on the invisible load of fatherhood because I'm like, okay, I know the invisible load of mothers inside and out. I can break it down for you. But like what rattles through a father's brain about caregiving? Help me understand. Mm -hmm. Right. And he came on and we were talking about how to stay at home or be a stay at home dad for a lot of the men and the clients that he works with would feel like a step down in power. And to be giving something up, to be, you know, it, it would feel like a, a loss of power in some way. And I was like, well, imagine for one second that being your life. Imagine for one second, like maybe if more white cis men did that, we would actually value care work. Right. Or maybe we would actually pay people for it. All of it. Right? So like it, like this conversation of power and this seed rattling around in my brain really came up at that time because if you're seeing this as less powerful, that also speaks to the family dynamics in your home as well. Because if you are here in forms of power and earning and uh, like decision making, like in the cognitive labor study, you know, one of the main areas where men actually do come in is in decision making, -making. (laughs) right? And finances and decision making, right? If we could actually value each other's time and, and see these things as valuable, but because men have not had to do it. So it's just such an interesting dynamic where I don't know. It's hard to know how to shift it, I think. But like the work in the home, I see opening up like Eve's work, who you talk with in the book, where they start to really apply practical systems in the home to redistribute the load. So mom has the space to just think
1: and embrace herself and what she might want to do. Yeah, and it's like it's really is about defining that start to finish. I think for a long time too, there was this stigma, like, well, I could do all that, but I'm not gonna worry about it as much as you do, because that's like a girl thing mm. as opposed to actually that's just a lot of forethought about all of the possible consequences and the a way to sort of plan for the future. And it's funny Catty really got into this too. She she says it in a really funny way. I don't think I'd be able to repeat it, but it's just like Come on, like a guy who's a project manager in some job, he's gonna say, like, I can't really manage the whole like soccer team. You know, it's it's crazy, right? Like, yeah, it's all a matter of valuing it as important work. Shifting it is gonna take a lot of pressure points in a lot of places all at once, right? We need people in companies who are men to actively declare, I'm not in on Tuesday because just these are cliches, but I'm on my kid's field trip or I have to miss the board meeting. Right. You need to keep sort of seeing that that's, you know, so that it fights this kind of, you know, in order to succeed, I have to be at the office six days a week, X number of hours. And you need women speaking up along the way saying like, hey, wait a minute. People just kind of constantly stopping the flow of business as usual, I think.
0: Just stepping back from those norms and being like, why am I just automatically stepping into this behavior, right? Yeah. Why am I automatically the one putting my hand up to take leave? Or why are we not splitting leave or time off after birth and things? There's a lot of patterns of behavior where we just fall into or we're socialized to fall into
1: that reinforces a lot of this. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's important for women is, like, there should be no judgment. Like, I mean, of course there will be because we're women. Like, we're going to judge ourselves and find ways to feel bad. Right. <laughs> but, like, we should, we, you know, the fact is society is still, it's kind of flawed right now. And so if we're making these choices that aren't perfect, it's okay, right? There's no easy way to do this. Probably ever, but at the moment, certainly, there's no just easy way. And if only I had done X, Y, or Z, that's what I should have done. Like, it's just, we're fighting a a system and it's going to take time.
0: One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments... It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z O C D O C dot com slash momwell. Zocdoc.com slash momwell. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem psyched Mummy, and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo Rage 20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code Rage 20. That's momwell.com slash rage code Rage 20. One of the things that stood out in the book that's coming up for me now is the relationship between like mental health and women in power. Mm, mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit with me about that and what the research says about that?
1: Well, you know, when I mentioned at the beginning, too, that we have this uneasy relationship with power, some of the data that really struck us from the start was this um, work out of Harvard that shows that women really do opt out of power much more frequently than men do. We reach a certain level when we're working and sort of say, no thanks. And it's not necessarily because we're unambitious at all. It's because we have these sort of broader life values, right? And we see that those will come into direct conflict with Power the way it's wielded right now. Hmm. It might be having kids, but it might also just be taking care of ourselves, time with family, time. You know, we list a lot more things than men do. And men have just more direct power related goals in terms of our life values. And, you know, one thing that women seem to accurately predict is that having power could be stressful and anxiety producing. And sadly, there are multiple studies that show that women in positions of power are more anxious, stressed, and depressed than both in the men and then women who aren't in, you know, the same level of power positions. So I think, why is that? You know, I don't think that's been teased out yet, but I think that the fact is when you're sort of trying to fit yourself into a hierarchy that doesn't always feel natural, mm. that probably is, of course, going to feel stressful.
0: Mhm. Yeah, there's probably a lot of reasons cuz they're probably still juggling the mental load at home yeah. while also at work. They're yes. probably facing gender biases around how they have to present themselves in leadership. Like, yeah. So the added layer and then I think about like women of color even more in these settings, yeah, having an added level of like microaggression and bias and and racism to deal with that it comes with another set of complexities, I feel like, to be in a position of power. And the judgment that comes down on women versus men is just so cruel and unnecessary.
1: But you do raise a good point that I think it is it is really important for all women to understand, you know, every group of women and individual women kind of face a different array of challenges in power, Like, you know, Black women face a certain kind of discrimination and are much less likely to get promoted than white women. And Asian American women are often viewed in a very typecast, stereotypical way and maybe not, you know, aggressive enough, don't speak up enough. Gay women are viewed in a certain way that's like too aggressive. You know, everybody has a label. And I think as women, it's also important. Kind of the allyship thing really matters, you know, it can increase our own sense of power just from a psychological point of view when we're really sticking up for other people. So that's important to keep in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking this more traditional form of power, this power over, we've like discovered and, and as you've written about, like really doesn't fit with us. Like it's not something that we really gravitate towards. So when we're starting to redefine power then or claim it for ourselves, what are some of the suggestions or things we can do to move towards a type of power that maybe resonates more for us?
1: Well, you know, and again, number one, let's be realistic. If you're in the traditional power hierarchy, you're not going to go remake it instantly. So, yeah. you know, one thing that a lot of women do do, and I, we were talking to an interview about this recently, is, you know, sometimes we do opt out and start our own businesses, consulting companies, movie companies, you know, whatever it is. And that allows for a little bit more control in operating things the way we like to operate. But I would say, first of all, it's important for everybody to understand, and this sounds like a really soft, recommendation, and I know like it's good to have to-dos that are quite hard, but it's important to understand that our own instincts about the way we want to lead and use power are actually good. Mm. So, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to remake yourself. It's important to know that if you have an instinct toward collaboration or a more kind of democratic way, less hierarchical of running a meeting or a more consultative that's actually a really healthy way to use power. And it is a way to use power. It's not wimpy. It's not not aggressive. It's not not ambitious. So just feeling comfortable with that. And people who use the power that way get ahead. Like Mm. we interviewed a lot of women who are running major concerns and they use power really differently. I would say that it's also important we talk about kind of everyday power disruptions. So it's important to look for moments when you can, as I sort of said, stop the flow of like, business as usual. One of my favorites, (laughs) probably more for the corporate world, but I think it happens in almost every setting, which is, you know, in meetings where you feel that men are speaking more, they're speaking over people, over you, over a colleague. Just one example is uh, a woman told us her go-to is let her finish, like just interrupt, Mm. interrupt that situation. Don't wait till the end. Don't wait and pull the guy aside. Don't let her finish or let me finish. And I remember when she told me this, I thought that sounds so abrupt. I don't think I could ever do that. You know, I'd be like, it would be polite. And she's like, no, no, no. Actually, men respond really well to that quick insert. Like that's the way they deal. They don't want to like get a lecture that goes on and on forever later, you know, just boom, say it and you're done. And like, for me, that's almost become a mental trick in a lot of other things like just stop something. Say, Mm. well, no, wait, hold on. I think we have to consider, you know, I and you just see it everywhere. I just had a meeting where I had to say, wait a minute, you're forming a task force, but like there are five men on that and there are no women. Mm -hmm. And you just have to say it. Like you just kind of keep saying these things or why not Susie? Or also think counterintuitively. Why can't you know Bob be running the DEI effort? Mm-hmm. right? And you kind of make these suggestions. So I think some of those things are really important. I would also say, when we have some of this in the book, but try some of this stuff about power priming. It really does work. If you take five minutes before something important and write, physically write down your memory of a time when you felt powerful, it changes your mindset for a not insignificant amount of time. Like the studies they've done on people were real job applicants. And those who they primed for power got jobs that like double the rates. Mm. And the people who interviewed them were just really impressed. So I think that's kind of a nice, a nice trick. I think the other important thing is you may feel that you're in a traditional power structure and a traditional power hierarchy and you don't love it. But if you can find ways to add the power to do what to your own recipe, like, why am I here? Instead of focusing on, I don't want that promotion because it's all about all this stuff, reframe it for yourself and think, what am I going to be able to do if I have that position? Mm -hmm. What positive changes am I going to be able to make? And try to make it less about being part of a hierarchy that doesn't feel great.
0: Mm -hmm. With the power disrupting, it makes me think about when I brought my husband into the company that I founded As co-founder and the meetings, like the room would look to the man in the room. He's the only man in the company, as a matter of fact. And they would look to him in meetings and when we were like in new consulting meetings and things. And I'd say to him, like, Do you see like this behavior? Like, do you see the pattern here? And then helping him to see it, he'll like throw it back, like, Erica, what are your thoughts on that? Or this is an Eric, this is an Erica decision, or whatever it is. It's so subconscious sometimes that it just takes that disruption to like call it into like being visible really something that he may not have noticed cuz it hasn't like impacted him in the same way most
1: likely yeah that's interesting yeah we're so good at women are so good at just managing people managing emotions and we just kind of click into automatic pilot sometimes yeah and it's especially with like oh okay i think i can handle that guy <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. like, maybe we don't need to be doing that
0: yeah and I think that like in him seeing me as equal and in the partnership in our home I think has also in a way giving me more confidence to like handle that situation be like actually this is a me thing like, like you're dealing you're talking to me right now kind of conversations because I have more of that confidence and as we've been talking this entire time I've been thinking about this I don't know analogy metaphor that I used to hear Growing up, like, man is the head of the home and woman is this. But I'll hear in certain circles and environments, like, the man is the head of the home, but I'm the neck and I can move it whichever way I want. And however, and I'm like, do women ever want to be the head of the home? Is that something that they strive for? I think that we would actually be content to be equal partners in the home. I think we would be content to not have one in front of the other, but in fact, to be unified. Right. And so, When we're talking about, do I desire power in that traditional form? I'm like, I've never had a desire to be the head of the home, quote unquote. I know.
1: That's so interesting.
0: I have desired to be your equal team player, your equal partner, your co-contributor in the decisions that we're making together. Not for me to manipulate you or influence you, not for you to be top down giving instructions or setting the values for the home with me, but for us to co-create a home and a family together.
1: Yeah. yeah, I do think women. Obviously, we're, we all there's so much data that shows we're we tend to be more collaborative, less hierarchical, more democratic in the way we want to work. We're team players. We're not as much zero sum game. You know, one of the women we interviewed who is editor in chief of the Economist, and she's the first female to run this publication, and it's a very kind of old boys club, male dominated publication you know, she said, the fact is, at the end of the day, I do have to be the final decision maker. And there are times where women just have to be comfortable doing that and comfortable that some decisions won't be liked, people won't like us. And she said, I look, I've she's changed so much to kind of make it collaborative and team focused and cut a lot of the hierarchy. But sometimes she just the decision will come to her and she just kind of has to do it. And so I think there is an element of how do we socialize ourselves? Some of us anyway, some women are more comfortable with this, but to get more comfortable with people not liking us sometimes and people respecting us, but not liking us. Mm
0: -hmm. I think we see that when even asking for help or asserting our needs, whether it's within the home, within our friendships, but especially then in the workplace, if we have to discipline or give feedback or give performance reviews or do these things that might make people feel bad or like isn't people pleasing or perfectionistic like we really struggle with that and I find that the clients that I work with make a lot of decisions but it's a lot of micro decisions all day long that feel like they have lasting impact or big impact but like they may not be the big big things mm -hmm, like overarching things and obviously there are those and we do make those decisions often more in collaboration with our partner so there's a lot of decisions to be made but it's often In a decision fatigue way, like, what am I really going to feed these children tonight that they're not going to throw on the floor and hate? (laughs) Like, you know, that's
1: true. Like, we
0: exhaust this muscle while at the same time don't get to
1: exercise it in other ways. I don't know. It's an interesting. Well, that's, I mean, there's no real analogy for taking care of kids or, and, and in some ways, like taking care of parents or family members, like the care part with the Corporate world or work world, it, it, sometimes there is, but it's just much harder. Mm-hmm. Like there's just much harder, and there's it's less of a sort of straight path, and so I think the skill set is a lot higher, and it is kind of important to leave some mental space for that other kind of thinking. Like not even necessarily, you know, it might be like you do, you know, not for three or four years, but I think, you you know, to to have some kind of balance and help if you have a partner who, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a partner, I think having balance there's really important.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, as you had said, to see the skills that we gain in motherhood as valuable as that hiring manager did or whoever like the things that come online in the multitasking and the juggling and the responsibilities are valuable skills that we take with us to anywhere we go, whether we want to be huge. at the PTA meetings and running things or whether we want to be in a corporate environment, like we take those skills Take them with us. So, thank you so much, Claire, for joining us. Absolutely. The Power Code, where can people find it? Like everywhere
1: books are sold. Everywhere books are sold. It's actually, I think, going to be starting in August in Target too, which is exciting. But Amazon, every, you know, all independent bookstores, which we love. So,
0: yeah. And we'll link that in the show notes for everyone to click through and find it. And where can people learn more from you? Are you hanging out online where they can follow you? And yes.
1: K and kayandshipman.com. We have a newsletter. We're sort of communicating regularly there and posting updates about what we're learning and hearing. So we love hearing from people there.
0: Thank you. We'll link that in the show notes as well. Appreciate the work you do. Appreciate the advocacy and the, the changes that you're making. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you, Erica. Thank you too. It's such an important audience for us. Motherhood parenting is a huge piece of this. So thank you.
0: When we're talking about something as invisible and abstract as power norms, it can be difficult to put language to something that is kind of an unwritten rule or dynamic in our interactions with others. In listening to this episode, I hope that you really begin to reflect on what power means to you, what the power distribution or dynamics look like in your home and whether you feel like you gravitate towards power or want to avoid it or push it away. I've already been knocking on Claire's door to have her back to discuss The Confidence Code as it's a book that has really impacted me personally and I suspect we'll be hearing more from Claire in the upcoming months. In the meantime, if partnership or unpacking your relationship dynamics or power dynamics in your home is something that you feel you could use some support with, our maternal mental health specialists are equipped to have these discussions about how to redistribute tasks and work together more as a team so that you can maintain pieces of your own identity outside of motherhood. To book in a free 15-minute consultation with one of our therapists or to learn more about therapy, head to momwell.com. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week where we are being joined by clinical psychologist, Dr. Lauren Cook, to discuss how to manage our fears and anxieties while parenting during unprecedented times. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com learningcenter learning center. To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to MomWell.